Okay, go. Hi, this is Kevin Dolan, author of Marketing Multipliers. You're listening to Vroom Vroom Beer with Jeff Smith. Wow, you used to be a <laughs> DJ. All right. I'll, I, yeah. <laughs> I'll be right back. In my head. In all your right. head. Yeah, all of us are in the shower or in, in our heads, <laughs> one or the other. All right, I'll be right back. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to Vroom Vroom Veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Kushner, thank you so much for being on Vroom Vroom Veer and welcome to the show. How's it going? Great, Jeff. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited. All right. So you are, you've got a lot of things going on, don't you? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I've been pretty busy lately. That's that's true. Yeah. So let's talk mostly about the podcast. So let me make sure I get this right. It's Extraordinary Ordinary People podcast, right? That's right. Yeah. Yay. Extraordinary People. Yes. All right, and that is at eopeople.net. And talk That's a little right. bit a bit talk a little bit about uh, what your podcast is about. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, I'll tell you too where it started because it was it's really kind of a fun story. Cool. Uh, yeah, I had the idea for literally a year or two, which started with my travels. Like when I was in my low twenties, I would go off to Jamaica and Maui and just all these different places, and mm. and I would yeah, and I would always meet really interesting people who lived wherever I went. It didn't matter where in the world I went. They, I would always meet these people and have really interesting conversations. And so I had this idea that what if I were to interview people like that and just kind of get their life story? Because I really love to connect with people. So the idea is to connect with them and get this fascinating story. And so I went to Maui recently for five weeks. Uh, nice. Yeah. 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 It was real nice. Um, and what happened was I hadn't, I already had this other show, um, the wedding biz, uh, at the wedding right. where I interview, I interview celebrities in the, in the wedding event industry and it's for brides and for people in the industry. And I already had that going, but so I had some equipment with me cause I was going to do some Skype interviews and I'm on the Island in Maui. And I, I start to meet these fascinating people. And the first one I met was like a week, a week into it. And, uh, uh, actually, his name was Jeremy, and um, I was with a friend at this like lavender farm, and I, I I met this this guy with his girlfriend and his mother. They were hanging out there, and I we're just chatting, and I find out he lives on the island. And I said, "What do you do?" And he says, "Oh, I run an enchanted forest tour for children." And <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and also you gotta also you know the context of where I am meeting him and the way he's dressed, the way he looks, and he just had this like look in his eye and all of a sudden it hit me in a flash. It's like, okay, enchanted forest tour for children in on property in Maui. Like, okay, this is it. And I just, I basically told him I had a show, <laughs> which I didn't at the moment. <laughs> oh God, if he hears this now, he's going to know the truth. Yeah. Um, and I, I made, I, I ran to the one music store on the Island and I, and I got like another microphone and some cables and, um, a few days later went up to meet him on his property. And I'll tell you what this enchanted, uh, forest thing was just 
the tip of the iceberg. I mean, the rest of what of what I uncovered with him is a blow away. And actually, he's he he uh, he, he was released on the first the opening of the of the show, which which was on April 26. And so okay. um, and that's what got me started on this whole idea. And the idea is people who have who, who have unconventional lives by most of society standards. Sure. Who. Yeah, who who basically kind of design, create their own way of living, their own rules to live by. And, um, you know, I've got to have a connection with them and they have to be able to be vulnerable and, and have be able to, you know, communicate well. And so it's just crazy. The range of people that I've interviewed for that show, it's really fun. I love it. You've, you've hit on one of my favorite things that I came up with riding a bus one day to work. <laughs> yeah. So for a while I was doing a... A series, let's see, I don't remember what I was doing or where I was, but for whatever reason, I was taking a bus from where I live in L.A. to downtown to, you know, points bur- points beyond, right? Yeah. And, and I was, you know, like meditating and like reading a lot of uh, spiritual books at that moment. And, uh, and I had one of these like perfect little moments of quiet little clarity where I'm sitting there smiling and trying to be quiet on the bus. And looking at all the people, like 90% of them are lost in their phone or, you know, like sleeping or, you know, somehow distracting themselves or not there, you know. Uh And I'm enjoying just being present there, enjoying that little being quiet with a bunch of strangers on a bus. (laughs) Yeah. And I I came up, yeah, I came up with this term that I called mundazing, right? It's mundane and amazing, but one word. (laughs) Uh, That sounds good. Well, it's just what kind of like what you were talking about in your show. It's like it's like this combination of extraordinary ordinary, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's like you don't have to be like some rich famous, you know, glorious fabulous rich person, right? <laughs> to have an amazing life. I think is yeah. where you're going there, right? Well, I agree and what you're what I feel you're talking about in terms of the moment is really profound in a sense. I mean, it's finding the extraordinary in an ordinary moment. And Correct. so for me, and that translates to the people is that finding the extraordinary in ordinary, in regular people, you know, Correct. who are not necessarily huge celebrities, you know? Right. So, no, so yeah. that's amazing. I think we're on the same wavelength there. <laughs> yeah. Ah, I'm interested in the show. So, uh, uh, I, I'm going to, I'm going to check it out. Great. Thanks. Yeah. And I love Maui, by the way, I lived in, uh, uh, Hawaii for a while. So I got to visit Maui several times. And uh, it's probably my, let's see here. I think I like Big Island first. Uh-huh. And then Maui second, and then maybe Oahu. Man, no, Oahu's not fourth. <laughs> Hawaii's probably Kauai. fourth, yeah. right. Yeah, well, it's funny, you know, you say how much you like Maui. To me, it, it, it's like a magical island. You know, it there's something, yeah. it is, there's something going on there. And the kind of people who it attracts, and, and actually, while I was there, I, I, I ended up interviewing 10 people on the Holy island. Holy cow. Wow. Yeah. And, and really fascinating people. As a matter of fact, um, I, I, there's another, uh, actually I, I was mistaken. Jeremy, we released second. The first episode was a guy named wind cloud, wind cloud. And he, I came out, came to find later is over 90 years old. And you would think I mean, he looks like he's maybe 70 and his, and the way he moves his body is mm. like a 30 year old. It makes no, 
it, it <laughs> I still don't understand it. Yeah, I did like you can. Yeah, I get it. And he he has an amazing life story. So he's mm. uh, he's on there too. So you can listen to Wind Cloud too. And 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 you know, and then also you know when I came back from the island. Um, I also, I, I interviewed, um, a guy named Dr. Michael Olding, who is a really well-known cosmetic surgeon. And so taught, you know, went into a, a whole different direction, but the yeah. point was, yeah, this guy, you know, what an interesting career and position he's in. And so, and I approached the interview with him like the others, it's, it's like, you know, w- what is our life story as opposed to just strictly, you know, details of the craft of being a cosmetic surgeon. Right. Um, and then there's another person too, Jeff, named uh, Zoila, uh, Z-O-I-L-A, uh, Zoila Fajardo. She is this housekeeper who had an amazing, amazing story about having a transgender child. And oh, wow. so so you can see, yeah, the show yeah. goes in all these different directions, but yeah, it's all, yeah, it's really engaging in my opinion. Yeah. My humble. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's fun because it's, it's so not niche, right? Because we're, we get so tired of, uh, you know, niche is great. You know, for like, um, for when it you're very focused, you know, but I think you kind of need like a, a non niche sort of like a wide open kind of general thing to sort of like offset that. So, yeah, I agree with you because my yeah. the wedding biz um, show that I have is right. so, so super, super niche. niche, right? Yeah, and you're right. It's like I I you get really, tired of it. Really, <laughs> I, I love. I mean, I love both. You know, really equally, but I but I do enjoy you know, then getting onto this other one, um, Mm -hmm. EO people and, and you're right. And it's more, you know, anyone can listen to it and enjoy it. And, and I, it, I don't know, I can talk to almost anyone I meet it, you know, it's really exciting. It's less constraining spirit. It is. (laughs) So, okay. So being that this is Vroom Vroom Veer now, we have to talk about you and your life. That's what we do on this show. So I came up with an interesting question. Let's see if you like it. So I want to get some stories from your life, say something between like the ages of five and 10, Um, because I know there's an interesting thing that happened around age 15. (laughs) But, But before we get there, like talk about like one of your biggest struggles between the ages of five and 10. Oh, wow. I, I, I struggles between five and 10. That's interesting. Well, hmm, I don't know if it's so much a struggle as I, I, I guess I had this desire and I can't explain. I can't possibly explain where does it come from? How do you think about it at such a young age? But right. when I was when I was six, that's when I discovered music. I mean, uh, I have okay. this you know, music business, Andy Kushner Entertainment Design, which has been my main thing full-time for 18 years. And, wow. and yeah. And so before I was six, I guess there, you know, I'd always loved music and, and I realized when I discovered the flutophone in, in, uh, first grade, that music was it for me, period, hands down, immediate, like the passion knocked me over. And I, so I, in wow. terms of tying it, yeah, in terms of tying it into like the word you said, struggle, it was, it was almost like the answer to it. It's like such a relief for me, I vividly remember that, that very moment, you know, to be able to express music and, and emotion. Mm. So maybe, you know, I would say in that sense, it, it, it was the end of a struggle, right? Wow. A, yeah. That's yeah, pretty, it, that's pretty yeah. rare that you hear that somebody like finds out 
like an answer to an interesting question at age six. <laughs> yeah, I know. I feel That's really lucky. Pretty amazing. Yes. Yeah. You're blessed. Right. Yeah. Good for yeah. you. I think uh, when I read a lot about Bob Dylan, he said when he found the guitar, he said, I never, I never, I was never afraid again. Wow. Right. Ooh, that's really cool. <laughs> I haven't heard that one. I like that. Yeah. Cause he was like, oh, I can do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's great. So that's you had great. a similar sort of feeling with your, with, with that six-year-old uh, revelation basically oh yeah and i mean it hasn't ended i mean the passion for it you know right. it's still going so right. yeah that's amazing that might be like i heard somebody say that there you know there's lots of there's lots of these things that you hear about categories of people but i uh -huh. think one of these categories is there are folks like you and i think they're a little bit more of a rare breed that come here and find that thing relatively quickly, but they also fall into the category of folks that are practicers. That's what the, this guy said that, you know, you could get world-class at a thing, right? Because you fell in love at an early age and probably got really good at practicing. Hmm. You know, that's an interesting point. I, it makes me think about when my parents would say, you know, even recently, my mother was talking about how you know, she never had to push me like to practice. Eventually, right, I went to, right. to piano and then to trumpet and a whole lot of different instruments. And she was saying how she never had to push me to practice. And yeah, I was just so compelled um, that I just dove in. And, and right. yeah, I would spend all these hours in my room just simply, you know, practicing and working on it, working on the craft and feeling the excitement, you know, and the emotion, right. the passion, right, being right. able to whatever whatever pain that makes most people quit a thing just uh -huh. made you go further right <laughs> Boy, that no that's a really that's another very cool way to yeah. look at it i haven't thought about it in that way cuz yeah. yeah you hear about that how there are people who yeah, uh, complain about it yeah where they're forced and you know and to me that's not yeah. the way to to nurture the right. that, a passion in a child is by right. forcing them i i understand i mean people will talk about getting kids to to practice because it helps you with math and it helps you with learning how to like have a teacher, you know, and, yeah. and, and that kind of, there's a lot of things that come out of it. Um, but yeah, I, in terms of practicing, oh yeah, I dove in. That's nice. So from uh -huh. age six, you, you were already into music practicing and you had like found a thing. That's pretty amazing. Oh yeah. Deeply. <laughs> it was like all that mattered to me until yeah. I discovered girls. Of course. <laughs> you know, that, was, that was like all that mattered. Yeah. Yeah. That happens. <laughs> yeah, it does. So by age 15, then you were already working in music. Well, what I, what happened was, you know, I got into school bands. I had, I, let's see, I discovered, uh, that was in, I think Tucson, Arizona, our family moved to Brockport, New York. And in Brockport, they started bands there, kids in, in, in school bands, really young, like fourth grade. And I think we later moved to Tampa, Florida, where it started in seventh grade. And so I was also, you know, this is interesting too, timing and, and circumstance. I was lucky to be in Brockport, New York where, you know, a couple of years after I discovered music, I could get in and, and learn what it's like to be part of a band. And then, and that's when I got into, and into trumpet and, and the trumpet and all of that. So, um, as far as like, quote unquote working when I was 15, so what was that ninth grade? Uh, yeah, it was like the end of ninth grade. I started my own band and, and the idea 
I loved the band Chicago. So oh, right. It, yeah, although we didn't have vocals in the band, it was instrumental, and we wow. played Chicago. Yeah, we and it was three horns, trumpet, sax, and trombone, and a full rhythm section, uh, drums, bass, guitar, and keyboard. So I started this this seven piece band when I was fifteen. And our first gig was for free at a veterans hospital. And I, I remember that, too. It was incredibly fun to perform and to see people having a reaction, a real positive, nice reaction. And then we started. I don't remember how I did. but I started getting paid jobs for the band. And then um, a year and a half later, let's see, we, at 16, we were playing Shakey's Pizza Parlor for tips and we would. <laughs> yeah, I love it. But we would wow. we would pack the place because we played there every week. And we played mostly Dixieland. And then at about 16 and a half, uh, we got offered, I got, it was my band. So I got offered to have the band, which was called Rhythm at the time, play at Tampa Stadium for the professional soccer games. And we played pregame, half game, postgame. Wow. Um, yeah. That's a and real so we, gig. Yeah. We play, oh, we we're playing for thousands and thousands of people. And, wow. and we, then we started to work and get a lot of gigs. So, you know, definitely was making money. It was more than you know, being a movie usher or, or waiter or something like that. Right. So it was great. It <laughs> was a great most way. kids working at a grocery store or something. Yeah, it was a, it was a really good first job. Well, and here we are today. It's, you know, paying my bills along with it's sponsorships. It's your first and last, and last job. That's pretty good. Um, yeah. Well, no, you did work in the corporate culture for a while, right? I, well, that's, yes, I did. I sold for IBM and Lexmark for a total of 16 years right out wow. of college. Oh, yeah. okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So what uh, what did you study in school? What did you go to college to study? Well, it was business. You know, I didn't know. I really didn't know what to do. I mean, I wanted to be a full time musician and on the trumpet. I just I didn't have the courage uh, to go for it. I didn't know how I would go for it. And so I just I, I had been running this youth group called USY. I was president of this Florida subregion. I really enjoyed it. And I thought I was, you know, I was good at it. I was organized and disciplined and we did really well. And so I thought, well, okay, I guess business. I, I, I don't even right, understand right. how I could yeah, barely it's, it's a, about it's it. It's a pretty it, difficult yeah. uh, decision for a, a young kid to make. Like, yeah. okay, make uh, this decision and you'll only have to live with it for the rest of your life. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's okay to go with something generic, in my opinion. So yeah, you can't I go wrong with business. Well, or if I were to redo it, I would say majoring in English. I mean, something more... Okay. You know, but but Even yeah, more generic, right? Yeah, but it worked for me. Yeah, yeah. So, what was it like for you? So, while you were doing your corporate gig, so you said you had a, a job in corporate for sixteen years. Is that what you said? Yeah, right. I went to Boston University, and I okay. when, when I graduated, I uh, I was determined. I wanted to. I actually wanted to get into the record business, and I oh, I, I could. Yeah, and I couldn't figure it out. Like I, I wanted to get into Columbia Records because of the artists that they had at the time, like. Chicago and blood, sweat and tears and earth, wind and fire. And I, I couldn't figure out how to break into the record business. I tried. And so I was thinking to myself, this is going to really date me. I thought, <laughs> well, yeah, what I'm about to say, I, I thought, well, you know what? This thing, computers, computer, it's, it's, it sounds like it's going to be a big thing. And so, <laughs> right. <laughs> no. And so I found out at the time, IBM was like the main computer company. So I was determined to get in. And I just, I, I, I did not, I interviewed with some manager connection through a cousin. He did not offer me the job. I still was determined. And it's a long story, but I ended up getting into IBM in another division. And so, yeah, I was in Boston um, selling for IBM. Um, and then, um, and they trained me for nine months. It was like the end of the real long 
IBM training programs, which used to be really well known back in the day. So I got that last training program and, and then they moved me to Washington, D.C., where I had my first sales territory, territory. And, and I did that for eight years. And then a division of IBM kind of went off onto its own, into its own company called Lexmark, the printers. Mm-hmm. Right. So I went there because uh, this is funny. I, well, I guess it doesn't matter if anyone from back then hears this, but I had at, by that point, it was really easy for me. Like I had the, jo- the job. So e- it was so easy to me. And at the, and I had already started my music business, uh, my first band sound connection at, at the end of that IBM piece going into Lexmark. Okay. And I didn't, I, yeah, I didn't want to, I knew I wanted to somehow figure out full-time music, but I wasn't ready yet. And so, so yeah, so I went into this Lexmark company and, um, you know, it, it worked really well for me till I was able to go full-time. Nice. So that what you must've been selling, like, was this at the time when they were getting, just getting into the personal computer business or were you still selling like the, the big well, no, you know, that's, well, that's, computers. that's the funny thing. Yeah. They used to call it mainframes. I mean, it was funny because back then a, a, a mainframe computer would fill up an enormous, like an entire floor, you know, of, right. of you know, <laughs> and, and huge air conditioners to keep it cool and these yeah. buzzing sounds. And, and now you can fit like the, the data they were able to process can now fit on your phone. It's insane. Correct. And it's, yeah. it's, a, it's, it's, it's crazy nuts. in a thumb yeah. drive. Yeah. I know. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's really, it's really nuts. And so, uh, I, I, yeah, so that's what I started to do with it, but, but I did not sell mainframes. I actually sold computer supplies, which if anyone can remember diskettes, which later became known as floppy disks. So it was like yeah. storage devices and, and, uh, and then with wow. Lexmark, yeah, it wasn't the printers. It was printer supplies like toner and ink. And I did that. Like I had an opportunity to go into the mainframe side of IBM. And then when I was with Lexmark to go into the printers, but I knew it would be way more responsibility. And I was, I wanted to still kick ass as a sales rep and not let, I wanted to make my numbers and, but at the same time build this music business. So that's why I kind of stayed in this, in this, uh, more basic level of both companies, you know, okay. on purpose. Right, yeah. Right. So it could, it's, it's like you were only you're trying to stay a little bit uh, more toe in than all in on the, on the work side, basically. Yeah. Or, or I, yeah. I was full in on the work side, but it would, I knew that selling <laughs> mainframes or selling uh, printers was going to be way more focused. Way more work. And, right. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and I, you know, and it was kind of hard at the time because it was almost like a, a status thing. I mean, people my age you know, who were getting promoted, you know, everyone wanted to go. I mean, the best thing in any company is you want to be in the heart of the company. And right. so with Lexmark, the heart of the company is printers. So it was sure. a little tough. You know, at first it was it was tough to pass those promotions and chances to transfer over. Right. Um, but then on the other hand, I made really good money doing what I was doing. And I was learning about the business of business and how mm. to sell, which is not a bad word. You know, I was right, learning that right. it's, yeah, it's messaging the value. It's communicating the value of the product to help people. Um, and so that's how I viewed it. And, and that, you know, I use those skills to this day. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. You can't really run a business without knowing how to sell stuff because they call that a charity. <laughs> yeah. no. I like, I like you come up with these great phrases. That's a good one too. That's true. No, I didn't come up with that one. Another guest taught me that one. No. Yeah. yeah. He was like, you know, if you're not selling, you're, you're running a charity, not a business. I'm like, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's <laughs> okay. So eventually then you, 
you broke away from your job, right? Right. And started doing your, your music business full time. So what was that transition like? Ooh, that was intense. I, you know, so, you know, I mentioned I'd been, um, with IBM for eight years. Then I went to Lexmark for eight years. When I, right before I went to Lexmark, I started this band, like I say, sound connection. And, uh, and it's a long story what led to that, but kind of in a nutshell, I was really missing music and, um, and I had this wonderful mentor in the, in the music business, um, who taught singing and, and just performing and, and how to handle yourself as an artist. And, you know, we were talking about it and he, and he said, listen, you need to start a band so you can sing. And I never became a great singer, but that experience taught me so much about how to choose singers and, and what, right. you know, okay. yeah, what that's all about. And so, uh, so I went to see these local and he said, make it a wedding band. And I was like, wedding band, no, I'd rather do a club thing. And he said, no, 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 because the wedding band, you can also make money at this. I mean, you're talking about going full time. You're not going to be full time being a club act, a bar band. Um, and right. so I, wow. I fought it at first and then I went to see what was supposed to be like some of the best wedding bands in this town, some of which are still around. And I was I had a completely different opinion about how a wedding a wedding band should look and sound and interact with a crowd and and so I said, "Yeah, I'll do this. I'm going to come up with something completely different." And real quickly Sound Connection um built and started to get an audience and the price went up and and became the top band. I mean, it's been the top band in the Maryland DC area, Northern Virginia for a long time now. And so and then from there I started a second band and I basically uh, got a consultant and realizing that, OK, I need to figure out how to really super monetize it. Like it was great part time money, Jeff, but it wasn't right. full time. And I had a wife and a young daughter. Sure. And, you know, yeah. and so you need money. So, well, <laughs> it was great part time, but I did both yeah. for eight years. And right. then eventually um, I, it was a very calculated move to figure out how to make that. Like you're asking me about the transition. You know, there was the financial transition. I, I, I did leave when I was making the same money as I made as a sales rep at Lexmark, but there was the psychological transition of yeah. now I'm on my own. And that was yeah. scary. It as is hell. scary. Yeah. Oh yeah. So you need a lot of like, uh, support, you know? Yeah. That's a great word for it. I did have a lot of support. I mean, I was in therapy with this great therapist who, who was also you. like, yeah, like a, a business consultant too, because, you know, I want to say something about therapy. It's not, you know, back when I got in, people were, and even me was, were more skeptical of it. Mm. Um, now it's, you know, now it's so acceptable and people will brag, you know, that they're in therapy. But I, I do think that we all have these like character issues that, that mostly come up from however we were raised during childhood. I mean, it's all we know is how our, our experience with our parents, there's right. not, that's what we know. And so, you know, and parents, you know, have strengths and weaknesses. Sure. And so, so it was more dealing with character issues that, that I had that kept me from having more of what I want, whether it was better relationships, mm, better business, yeah, yeah, right. being a better father, better husband, all that stuff. So to me, it was getting in therapy was to learn more about, you know, what is it about, you know, within me mm. that I, I can be more aware of and, and not that you get rid of these issues, but learning how to live with them and make them actually work for you, yeah. you know, so. So that was huge for it me is. to that's, be able to, yeah. yeah, when you talk about support, that was really big, you know? Well, and, you know, and it's not just that kind of support. There's like, you know, you're, you, you want your wife on your side because if she's going to work against you, <laughs> it makes it like 
200% more difficult, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So hopefully she was on your side. Well, she understood that I was not just being impulsive and jumping into the music business. And she saw without, some money coming in already. Well, yeah, she knew that I that I was doing approaching this in a serious business way. And so, you know, what I have to hand to her is that she did have the trust and faith in me that although it was going to be my own company and it was something less defined, you know, as opposed to selling, you know, in a in a major Fortune 500 company, she did believe that, um, you know, that I knew what I was doing and I would make it work, you know, so that, that was a leap of faith on her part too. Nice. Nice. So what, what was different about your band? I mean, because, you know, when people think of wedding bands, they think of that movie, the wedding singer, right. And they're doing bad covers. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So it's not that right. Because we're, we're imagining that it's good. So, when you went out there and you saw like the competition, is that the sort of level of uh, competence that you saw in the other well, bands? Yeah, I want to be clear though because I don't want to knock you know the local wedding bands at that no, time. No, I don't want. It's, I don't want to do that either. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but I do want to. But to answer your question, I mean, it's a really good question. Um, what my experience of any kind of a live band up to that point even though I had a band that made money from like 15 to 19 years old and we did some weddings, we did a whole lot of different things. I still didn't understand weddings like I did later at that time. But, um, my approach, you know, at the older age of, of starting this quote unquote wedding band, which also did a lot of other things was I was only thinking of my experience seeing celebrity national acts, you know, like, like I say, my favorite at the time, Chicago and seeing Prince and Stevie Wonder and, mm. you know, and, and I even saw Bob Marley. I mean, all these Doobie Brothers, all these bands that I saw and artists had a certain way of presenting themselves. And I thought to myself, well, wait a minute. Why does a wedding band have to be this cliche um, certain level, mm. uh, which which can be OK, but I didn't think it was that great, generally speaking, at that time, you know, in terms of in terms of the sound and the the way they look, the way they dress, the way they uh, energy or lack of energy on stage and dealing with the audience. I thought, well, why can't I put together a wedding band, which is, yeah, you're like a cover dance band that has the look and feel of a celebrity act. We just don't have the big lights, you know, and and all that other stuff. And we're not doing original songs. That's a huge difference. But why can't the rest of it be similar? And so when I started... So when I started Sound Connection and then eventually uh, a band called Marquee, Sound Nation, recently Rhythm Six, uh, and I have a string group called Pop Culture Strings, I, I thought, why not have it be this insanely talented um, group of singers and musicians who also uh, really emote, you know, like know how to how to play and sing with pure emotion mm. and also and deliver it from a, in a professional way that engages the audience and also the way we look like back then, here's an example. Back then, um, the guys, for example, would have tuxedos. They would right. have yeah, a normal tuxedo with a cummerbund, a white tuck shirt, you know, with the ruffles in front and a bow tie. And I did that even in the beginning. I thought, well, let me get cool looking bow ties. And nobody did that. They all had okay. black and I, I would get different colors. And then I started to think, well, wait a minute, this is so cheesy. Really, why not uh, have a like a long tie? And I would get a long black tie. And then eventually it was like, well, this is ridiculous. The cummerbund, get rid of that. And then eventually get rid of the white shirt, have a black shirt. So now it's a black suit, not a tux, a solid black suit with a black shirt, long black tie. It was 
kind of technically black tie look for these formal weddings, but it was slicker. It had more of an entertaining look. And then from mm. there, then I would start to have the band change. We'd start in that. And then we'd start to change into other outfits, which no wedding band did at that time. Like now it's super common. Right. Um, and I was real careful with what colors, but it was like this whole thing of, of start to get it to look like I say, more like a celebrity act doing cover songs. And that I, that is, I know what got sound connection to be so popular. And even now, Sound Connection flies all over the world and has been on TV and wow. magazines and huge awards. And so, yeah, I just kind of I still do. I still look at the, the business as why can't it be like a celebrity act, but understanding the emotion of, of weddings and what it's all about and fundraisers or or like we, we did a lot of work in in Las Vegas. And OK, well, let me figure out what did the Las Vegas casinos want for New Year's? Why? You know, my band that comes out of Maryland, I actually, you know, why not do a huge show in Vegas? I mean, why so, not? yeah, yeah, that's always been my approach. Nice. So basically, it's sort of like within the within the constrictors of whatever the event is, which, you know, there's a lot like you, you named off. Be as, you know, go with uh, uh, as much as you can get away with on the showman side of stuff. Right. Instead of following all the rules. Yeah. You know yeah. what? It, this whole thing about rules, it's funny. Like for my podcast, um, you know, I'm doing things with my podcast. I, 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 I listen to podcasts. Um, I have a producer for both of them. And, and he recently was saying, gee, no one, nobody does that. I've never heard of that. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Why not? And so my approach was the same with the bands is like, you know, I just assume, well, why not have something other than a typical tux, white ruffle shirt and a cummerbund? I <laughs> right. mean, yes. I, it's, yeah. Like to me, it was like no big deal. So, but, but that's always been my approach to everything is I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't think about any rules as long as it's legal. That's all that matters. To me. <laughs> it's pretty weird though, that like, you know, um, as far as like that sort of event sort of music has been, had been in such a small box for so long, you know? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, that's just my approach for everything. So, yeah. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about your podcast that you've got going on now, because this is this is really fascinating to me. The uh, say it again. The well, thanks. the 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 first one we were talking about is extraordinary ordinary people, right? Um, uh, which and to make it easy to type into a URL, we made it eopeople.net. There you go. Just like yeah. eofire.com. There you go. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, make it a lot easier. Um, right. But, yeah, so that one, you know, like I mentioned earlier, it, it's really, uh, you know, again, it's finding people who live these, you know, unconventional lives by most of society's standards and who just basically, like like what we're talking about just now, about, you know, they don't look at life as, as with rules. You know, they're, they're going to do a nine to five and they're going to buy a house and they're going to do the – and I'm not knocking any of that because I've done all of that. So I'm not sure. knocking it. But right. but it's like people who um, see uh, anything is possible, which is how I feel, too, is that really anything is possible. And there's just no rules. And, you know, and to really just go through that process of discovering, well, what is it that makes you passionate? What do you really love to do? Mm. Why not find a way to monetize it? And so, the, you know, like I say, all these people that I've been um, having conversations with, you know, they're from all different walks of life. And um, the idea is that they're doing something that's just not typical, you know, right. um, you know, and then and then I get this intuitive feeling about them, you know, just when I meet them. And I've met, you know, I mentioned this on the show. I met 
uh, one Jeff, you'll like this one person. So you know about Maui, and for it, it, it's made those islands are made, of course, from volcanoes, and so. Yeah. In Maui, it's called Haleakala, and mm. anyone who's been there, it's over 10,000 feet high, the crater. It's a dormant, you know, whereas on the big island, there's one that's live. But right. on Maui, it's dormant. And so um, I, on my last trip in January, uh, I went with, I made all these friends in Maui. I went alone. I didn't know anyone. I, I just, like, created this whole community. And so this one friend and I went up for sunset um, because everyone there goes for sunrise. And again, right. it's, then it it's gets my really typical busy. way. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be contrary. It's like, why, who has to go for sunrise? I'm going to go for sunset. And then I get to see the stars too. Mm. So we went up there and I don't know, it was like 1130 at night. And at this point we're freezing and yes. we had seen enough stars. That was, <laughs> yeah, that was my it. experience was, was we, we tried to get up early enough to hit sunrise and we were in one of those uh, little rental jeeps. I can't, yeah, it was like a it was a geo tracker. You remember that? <laughs> yeah. And uh, we were all in shorts and t shirts, you know, because we oh, were in Hawaii. No. Oh, no. <laughs> you already know. And that geo tracker's heater did not work very well. Oh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we froze our butts off. Anyway. Yeah. Continue. It's, yeah. <laughs> well, right. So, so we, we kind of hiked down from the summit. It wasn't that far because there's actually a parking lot up near the summit, near the right. observ- this observation area. And in that parking lot, I saw this, this guy with an enormous telescope, like looking up into the sky. And as we get close, cause our car was near where he was, he had this like infrared light. And I'm like, I didn't even understand it, but I've always had this fascination for astronomy. And I I said, hey, man, do you what are you looking at? Do you mind? Can I take a look like I love looking at stars? And we started to talk and I find out just from talking to him for a few minutes. um, His name is Josh. And Josh had recently moved from California where he had a six figure salary. He left it. Yeah. And he left it. Um, He he, he was careful. He had uh, taken some time to really save a certain amount of months of living expenses in Maui and like many people who moved to Maui, he had been there on a vacation and then like came back. He wanted to stay. And um, so I was talking to him about this. And I and when I heard that that he had this, again, a major job in a Fortune 500 tech company in California, and he had done this plan, came to Maui and wanted to basically be a full time photographer and do more with his astronomy. Right then I like stopped the conversation. I said, man, I told him about the the, the show and I said, can I interview for it? And you know, I guess he got excited. He started to tell me more of a story and I stopped. I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't I, tell me now. I don't have my I, recorder. I, I, <laughs> well, but that's part of, that's part of my thing too Yeah, is with my show. And it also, it is that I barely for that show do any research. If it is someone who has something going on, I, ba- I barely reach. I want to discover their right. story and I want to hear it while you, the listener are also listening at the yeah. same time. Yeah. You discover you know? together. I'm with you. Yeah, that's this show too. <laughs> well, that's I, that's why I enjoy your show so much. Is that's what you do, and I I enjoy this. And well, so it's so much easier when you don't have an agenda. You know, when you just have a conversation. Yeah, if if you're comfortable and just do discovery, with, you know, yes, if you're comfortable with just going with it like a normal, you know, and that was another decision. Like I could hear with your tone of voice, you know, neither of us talk like an announcer or right. you know, and, <laughs> right. and so I decided. I mean, I think like you, I'm just gonna. I, I don't just care be how you just, yeah, look, yeah, I'm just going to be myself. And I know right. sometimes I get verbose or sometimes people think I'm dramatic and I just like, no, I'm just passionate. I wear my passion on my sleeve. Mm. I'm going to be me in these conversations. And I find that being like this gets them to then let go and be vulnerable 
and um, and let loose. And so Josh, you know, he like I said, I, I'm like, no, stop. Don't tell me anymore. And he had never been interviewed before. And so the other thing is like like you're doing with me, this conversational style is easier. It, so almost everyone's nervous when I'm interviewing them. But within three minutes, they 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 loosen up. They get comfortable. They even forget there's a microphone. Right. And I get chatting. these great stories. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it sounds I'm like it sounds it. like you're having a blast. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm loving this show. It's, 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 I, I'm ecstatic about it. It's really great. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever heard of uh, hardcore history podcast, uh, Dan Carlin? I'm not sure. Okay. That's okay. Um, uh, it's a relatively, you know, it's, it's, it's really all about history, right? But he does it like, he does a lot of research and spends a lot of time on it, but it's super hugely popular, right? So I, I listen to a couple of his podcasts. It's just a lot of work. You have to like set aside some time and do nothing but listen to that podcast. It's yeah, not like background kind of thing. Right. Yeah. That's but a commitment. It is. It is. But I heard him. I think he was talking to either Tim Ferriss or James Altucher on uh, their podcast. Yeah. And he made some really great points about why podcasting is has the appeal that it has, right? And uh-huh. and he made a couple of points like it's not it's the opposite of broadcasting, it's narrow casting, right? Huh. Because in broadcasting, you want to water down your content to the point where you're going to get the broadest pop- possible audience, right? Yes. So you don't want to be too specific. You don't want to be too offensive or you know swear too much or whatever you don't want to be too too right but in in podcasting you 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 have to be it's almost like the more weird quirky you authentic um you are so whatever it is that's weird about you that's just you and that's great because you know you don't need everybody on the planet to listen to your podcast yeah but i want (laughs) to add though i want to add to that for me there has to be an element of inspiration. Like I have to okay. sense sure. and it's an intuitive thing. Yeah. I, when I meet these people in all these different places, I, I do get a sense that not only do they have this really fascinating story, I'm still narrowing down who I'm going to sit down with, you know, right. and you're not so, just talking to anybody. Yeah. And so I had enough, I'm going to stick with Josh for a moment. So I had enough sure. of a sense with him that for him to make such a leap, you know, to leave, I mean, look at all the different uh, aspects of this. He's making a, a really good amount of money. Okay. Right. So he's now, he's now, uh, turning that off, not knowing exactly what's going to happen in the future. Now to me, that is, I, I want to know what goes through the mind of someone like that, because let's say that, I mean, again, I'm now doing everything I love and, and I actually have sponsors, so it's all working well, but, but in terms of making money and earning, how did he have the courage? What process did he go through in order to be able to take that leap because, you know, anyone who's not doing exactly what they love, you know, fantasizes about working at what they love. And so right. what was that process like for him? And can I can people and I, you know, learn something from that? And then secondly, was um, just I mean, OK, he's leaving an environment he's comfortable in. he lives in California. He's got a circle of friends. I found out he's got family in California. Now he's moving to this island, Maui. Like, how do you at that age, at an older age, even make a move? you know, where you're going to kind of start over. And that's interesting to me too, you know, just Mm. so all these different things. So, yeah, so I actually was thinking beyond just on the surface when I met him and thinking about, 
you know, this, I, I have a feeling this guy is going to have a really inspiring story that's going to give people ideas. And maybe someone's going to listen to the show, even if it's one, it's enough, who is like, or maybe they've already made the leap and they're scared to death. I remember right. this and right. not yet making the money. The things are not set in stone. It's not clear. You're really busting your ass. For them to hear this other guy who did it, it gives them, like you asked about support earlier. It's like, here's a guy and I'm getting to know him kind of intimately through this conversation with this guy, Andy. And wow. I, he, he did it. I'm not the only one doing it. Well, I'm going to stay on my path. I get a burst of energy. Like that's what I'm looking for too. I love it. It sounds yeah. like you're having fun. <laughs> uh, oh, can't can you tell? <laughs> I can tell. I can tell. Oh man. Yeah. I love this. Um, and, and now you're still, you still have your music business going and you still have. So how many businesses do you have going on? Well, in the music business, so Andy Kushner Entertainment Design, and that's yeah. at andykushner.com, that um, is is these acts, and even that's different. Like most companies that have bands, it's really a quote-unquote agency where it's just like a can of soup to me. I mean, there's good ones and great ones and medium ones, and it's just sending out videos with a price, you know, and the customer decides, and most of these bands, even the good ones, will still do a pretty similar thing from job to job. My whole thing is real different with that, too. It's like I think everything connects when you ask about my businesses is the common theme is, is connection, connecting with people. And so my whole thing, whether it's a wedding or a casino party, we did the opening of a stadium in, in Mexico. We did a massive corporate thing in Singapore. Like regardless of what it is, I want to get to know my client. I had first I want to really talk with them and connect with them and 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 get to know you know what not only the goals and objectives of this event but just what do they like what do they not like and mm. i'm going to summarize this by saying i custom my team custom designs a this performance or whatever whatever it is we're doing musically for each client it's a completely separate experience for each person and so you know that's kind of what connects it and then you know when you ask how am i doing all of this um, I've, I've finally, like in the past couple of years, learned how to really pick the right people Good. and develop, <laughs> you know what I mean? And have a team and, and learn how to manage. And for me, the biggest issue was letting go of control and delegating and trusting my team to do the job. And that if they make some mistakes, they need to learn how to do it like I did. So now they know what went wrong, what goes right. So I've really delegated a lot and I deal with just the super high level uh, creative stuff and the high level clients in my company. And so it's, it's freed me up to be able to focus in, in that company with what I really love the most, which energizes me for doing extraordinary, ordinary people. And then also this other business you ask about is the wedding biz. Um, right. and that's, that's the wedding And from my experience in, in, in the, uh, music business that I have, I've worked with a lot of these celebrities uh, in the event business, event industry celebrities, like like the planner who did Tom Cruise's wedding, the planner who did wow. Oprah's okay. birthday party, you know, that kind of thing, or or a cake designer whose cakes average like thirty thousand a cake. Wow! So so I've I've gotten to know those people, and I've seen all these different ways of of running a, a wedding in in particular. And so I decided, you know what, why don't I, and I researched, I tried to find these wedding podcasts. I didn't see anything, you know, that did what I was thinking of. So also I thought that here's a really huge opportunity. And so, um, and strategically I did not, uh, release the show until I had many in the can yeah, to know that idea. things happening. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, I've got some of the most exciting names, like already, uh, Sylvia Weinstock, who's the, the very high end cake designer and, 
Brian Raffanelli, who has done Chelsea Clinton's wedding and and all the stuff of the White House up until Trump and tons of other stuff. Brian's huge and and has books and they all do. And and also um, Matthew Robbins and David Beam. And I'm going to be sitting down with Preston Bailey in June. And in the wedding industry, these all these people are the rock are really well known, yeah, yeah, and respected. And and it's going to be you know the target market is it's good, it's to help other people in the industry and brides and grooms and their parents. Because now they're learning, you know, from the bride side, they're hearing the best in the business, how they do their business and and what's important to them and, and what inspires them. Now these brides, even if they can't afford that level, have a better idea of how to choose their team who's going to put on their wedding. And it gives them even creative ideas to bring, you know, even if they don't have a planner. And so, um, you know, so it's for all levels in, in the wedding industry. And I'm, I'm loving that one, too. I mean, because, yeah. again, my my approach is to sit down like you and I are talking right now, like I do with the other podcast and have real conversations and not do, you know, just the, the typical, you know, surface level kind of magazine article questions, right, you know, like, right. like what's the best first dance. And you know, no, I'm not, <laughs> I'm going to get into the depth of, 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 you know, what's under this with people. So I'm, I'm as passionate about that one as extraordinary, ordinary people. Cool. Yeah. It sounds like a blast. Now, yeah. when I, I got married three times, that's a fun story. Oh, wow. <laughs> to the same woman. <laughs> there we go. See, that's the punchline. That's good. <laughs> so when I was, uh, when I was in Hawaii, that's where I met my wife. Uh-huh. And this was in like, uh, I met her like in 91 or 92, I guess. But we got married in 93. Um, and first we got married, um, we call it our, our military housing wedding because uh, my roommate at the time who I was sharing rent with got orders to go to Korea from Hawaii, mm. and he decided to get out of the military, so he didn't have money to pay rent <laughs> anymore. So we had to, we are already engaged and planning to get married. We just decided to go to the uh, Justice of the Peace sooner rather than later. So we oh. could get base housing. So we called that the housing wedding. Oh, that's smart, hey? Yeah, right. And then we had another wedding, and that was at a church that we were going to there in Honolulu. And we called that one our picture wedding because we wanted to have uh, pictures for our parents. So uh, nice. n- we only invited Hawaii friends. Uh-huh. No family was invi- uh, came. There was no flying in. We didn't want to have make people do that. So uh, we just had like a small little reception, and then we had pictures. That was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we had the gala event in uh, in Japan because my wife is Whoa. from Japan. Yeah, that's a destination wedding. Okay. <laughs> well, again, nobody from my side came to Japan. <laughs> so only the Japanese side of folks, uh, all those relatives and friends. Uh, we all got together and, you know, went through the costume changes and the whole Japanese wedding thing, which is like completely different than, uh, they basically have hotels that have wedding machines built in the, uh, huh. yeah, <laughs> I know. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's a whole different event, but, uh, it was something that you, more like as a bride and groom, you kind of survive <laughs> well, well, I then mean, enjoy well, yeah, it, it yeah. is a multifaceted kind of experience. I yeah. mean, yeah, there is the stress and stuff that comes up in family. A lot of issues will come up and stuff like that. And and that's the job of uh, – actually, that's the point of my podcast really, really? in terms of the yeah. brides is to help them be more informed and, and 
get the the excitement that the the inspiration side of it you know and why did they get married because they love each other they want to spend right. their lives together right. how do we express that through their event and then for me specifically you know through the music with with the music side which has a huge impact on how people whether or not they have a good time and and then the specifics of the podcast to give them ideas so actually it's to help alleviate some of that stress that that you're talking about that's def- that is a part of of, mar- of getting married and having yeah. the event the event know? is is like it's a, it was fun at in the in, when it was over <laughs> oh no i can't i, I shouldn't say that I, uh, somewhere in the middle i started having fun especially mm. you know uh, in japan they they uh, my wife had to wear this uh, this this I don't even know what to call it. It was like uh, it was like it's a wig, right? But uh-huh. it's it's more like a hat, right? Because mm. it's it's a it's a bunch of fake hair that's yeah. put into this really elaborate shape that yeah. they very complicatedly attach to her head. But huh. she had hair to begin with that they tied in knots to, yeah. <laughs> to kind of hide underneath this hat. Right. Wow. So yeah. So while she was wearing that, she was not comfortable. Aww. It was very painful. Right. So yeah. once we got out of that, and and then we we did our first costume change, and she got that thing off of her head, then we were having a good time. <laughs> now, are you impl- are you implying that you had a costume too? I did, but my there was no head involved in my costume. <laughs> <laughs> a headless costume. Right. Yeah. yeah, I didn't have to wear anything on my head. I just had like a very comfortable set of robes on. Yeah, see us guys, we have it so easy. We do. We always have it easy. Oh, we do. <laughs> hey, th- Andy, this has been a blast. Yeah, same for me, Jeff. Really, this has been really fun for me. I um, enjoyed it very much. Let's talk a little bit uh, in closing about where people can reach out to you. So your podcast, Zzz. So first off, you got andykushner.com. Oh, there's that. That's your entertainment business, right? Yes, and that's uh, Andy K U S H N E R. Yeah, I was going to go in a political direction, and I won't. But yeah, AndyKushner.com, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then there's uh, extraordinary ordinary people, and and people can find that at eopeople.net. Right. Eopeople.net, and then uh, for those interested in the wedding show, it is the wedding biz, like B I Z, theweddingbiz.com. Perfect. Um, yeah. And then also, you know, with Twitter, you know, it's, it's either at EO people show and the other one is at wedding biz show. Okay. Hey, this has been a blast, man. Yeah. I think, me too. I think we're on the same wavelength here as far as I agree. podcasts I agree. and having a good time and being yeah. yourself and inspiring people. And yeah, it's like therapy for you and your listeners. Very much. <laughs> okay. Thanks. All right. Thanks, man. Have a good one. Okay, you too. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V double E Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer. Vroom Vroom Veer.